You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, I'm so glad that you are here this morning. My name is Brad Talley. I'm the teaching elder here at Grace. If it's your first time, we extend to you a special welcome. We've had a lot going on today. I may not make it all the way through the sermon. Alice and I were actually traveling for a, um, um, a funeral this week down to Rome, Georgia. We, we got out when there were about two inches of snow on the ground and still coming. I love snow, and we had to leave it. But I'll see it in heaven, right? That's, <laughs> our hope is not here. Um, we were reminded of that at the funeral very, very poignantly that our hope is not in this place. But anyway, when you, when you have a, a less time to prepare a sermon, it just gets longer. So um, just settle in. I don't, I don't want to have to continue this next week. If it gets to that point, we will. Well, uh, let's just begin by thinking, has there ever been a day in history in which so many people are significant in the eyes of the world. (coughs) Obscure men and women, uh, even boys and girls, become famous in hours sometimes when a video or a tweet goes viral. Never before in history have so many had the opportunity or the privilege to be so well known. Never before have there been so many Narcissist. Well, people with narcissistic tendencies, we all have them in these days. We exhibit those narcissistic tendencies at least. What what if for one day the Lord just caused us to, to, to truly state or say in whatever media we were using what's truly on our hearts? I mean, we, we, we would probably begin with, look at me. Hey, hey. Are you looking at me? Are you ready? Somewhere in the post we would say, are you still with me? Are you looking at me? Do you not see how important I am? Can I just say one thing this morning? Several, over the last several weeks, this happens occasionally, and I felt the same way when I've heard preaching. But over the last several weeks, on many different occasions, some of you have come to me and said, You know, I know it's not so, but honestly, I wonder if you had a recording of a conversation I had because you were preaching right at me. I can tell you this. I, before the Lord, I do my absolute best never to preach at anyone. I know sometimes that the text is going to hit some of you because I I know what's going on in your life. And you're probably going to think that I'm preaching at you, but I'm not. I'm really, I don't know you that well. I, I do know someone that well. And I see him every day in the mirror. When I look at the mirror, I look in the mirror so many times, either one of two things is going on. Either I am disgusted with that person. Now, not always, but, but often one of two things. Either I'm disgusted and I'm preaching at that guy. That was stupid. Why did you say that? Or... I look and I say, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. 
Look, both responses, both responses are self-centered and sinful. Neither reflect my true identity in Christ. This morning we're going to continue our, our month in Matthew. More specifically, it's a month in the Sermon on the Mount. And even more specifically than that, just portions of the sermon. We'll cover a lot of ground today, possibly. Maybe not. Maybe we'll cut a little early and that'll be okay. If it's a month and a half in Matthew, hey, so what? That's all right. Uh, Matthew 6 and Matthew 7 both uh, make up our text today, portions of those chapters. Fortunately, uh, much of the text is straightforward. Understanding what the Lord is saying to us is not going to be our problem. Living what the obeying what God says, that's going to be our problem. While it's true that the Sermon on the Mount presents an impossible standard for anyone to achieve, it is also true that in this, it's the standard that God holds up for his disciples, for his followers. And it's possible for us to, to live in this direction, at least, because Jesus Christ lives in us if we are his followers. It's already been stated several times. For those of us who acknowledge our sin before the Lord, one of the important things that we did at the table, that we acknowledged our sin before the Lord, and then we say our only hope, as Scott told us beautifully, our only hope of, of, of relationship with God is Christ's sacrifice in our place. When we repent and believe, when we say my only hope of heaven is in Christ and what he did for me, then we become his children and it is possible for us to live like this at some degree. Not fully, not completely. We're never going to do that way until we get to that place, until uh, we get to heaven. But we will live in this way to a degree. As we have learned over the past few weeks in the Beatitudes, these characteristics uh, are in disciples' lives and they assume a relationship all that has already exists between God and his people. And so that the Beatitudes could literally be read, saved are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus was teaching those who follow him how they should live. It's only possible to live like this if he lives in our hearts, causing us to see both who we are in Christ and who we, who we, where we exist in the world and how we look at other people is all wrapped up in who we are in Jesus. Today's text is Matthew 6, 1 through 18, and then Matthew 7, 1 to 6. I'll read a small portion <clears throat> from each of those two chapters uh, in our initial reading. Uh, with su such a long text, there's really not a, a lot of time for a great deal of explanation. But you'll see that not a whole lot of explanation is needed. So we'll begin in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. If you would please stand, as is our custom for the reading of Scripture. <clears throat> Matthew 6. Beware of practicing your righteous, righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. 
And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now in Matthew 7. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you unfortunately whether it's today or next week we're not going to have time to explain verse 6 so let's pray our father uh, we are grateful for the word that does not allow us to live any way that we want to live we're also grateful for the truth that we read in your word that we are incapable of living like this. But when the Holy Spirit lives in us, when Jesus is our Savior, our Lord, <laughs> then we begin to see changes that are beyond our ability to make. So Lord, may your word wash over our hearts and not be a discouragement, but rather an encouragement to live in such a way that people will see Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you, Missy. I'm sure you know of uh, the term deferred gratification. You know what deferred gratification is, don't you? Um, it, it's giving up a temporary pleasure or something that would be good for now for something that would be far greater in the future. If you save your money, you're going to be able to have much nicer automobiles, houses, what have you. But if you're constantly spending your money just to, just to satisfy your desire for the moment, then you're going to not have as much down the road. Uh, we understand the concept of deferred gratification but we don't practice it very well. Why should we? Most everything that we desire and need can be had in a moment. At some point, we quit saying, you know, I'm going to get back into that pair of pants or that dress or whatever. And we just buy new clothes. We can do it, right? And they can make us look good again. You get those new clothes, you look in the mirror and you say, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't ever do that. I really don't. <laughs> well, I don't think I do anyway. Um, but, but all of us know some things are just not good for us or they would be much better if we would just wait. So let me just say this. It's kind of a side note because this is really not in the text, although it is in the Sermon on the Mount. Those of you who are not married, wait for sex. It's not the cultural standard, I get that. But God makes it very clear in his word that there are problems going forward if you don't. And there are beautiful blessings and benefits if you do wait. And you don't hear it very often, but let me just encourage you. Wait 
for sex. And if you're sexually active, pull back. Say, we can't do this anymore. We've got to stop. So, again, a side note. Even though it's not in this particular text, it's it's a good time to speak a truth that needs to be stated and heeded often. Uh, One of the benefits of coming to church is that you hear from God's word what you suspect or know to be true, but you're not hearing it from anybody else or not very many people, and you need to hear it at church. The immediate context in which deferred gratification is in play is Jesus' warning against practicing our good deeds um, to be seen and affirmed by others. Either we're going to seek to be affirmed and rewarded by God, or we're going to look to people to affirm us and, in a sense, give us a reward. We reward our children a lot, don't we? Oh, that's a good boy. Here's a cookie. Oh, that's a good boy. Here's a Brussels sprout, you know, for those of you who are of that kind of thought. Um, but, But as far as a desire for affirmation, either we will discipline ourselves to accept deferred gratification and to accept the Lord's reward at a later time, or we will seek instant gratification. When Jesus said we're not to be like the hypocrites, who uh, would sound trumpets before they would give to the poor. Some people think that he literally was saying that little boys would go around and they'd blow a trumpet to gain attention, get everybody's attention, and they, and they would say, Rabbi, so-and-so is about to give to the poor. And in the temple and in the synagogues, the, the big brass pots that were set up to to collect alms for the poor made a pretty nice sound when you would throw the coin in there. And some people would throw it in pretty, pretty heavily, with a pretty heavy hand so that people would notice that they're giving to the Lord. Look, I don't know about you, but when I leave a tip at Starbucks, I want to make sure the server sees that I'm giving the tip, you know? I, I stand there and hold it until he's looking, and then I give the tip. If I pay with cash and I'm just going to put my loose change in there, I do it very quietly, you know, because I I don't want to think, oh, he's just throwing pennies at me. Look, when when I put a picture of my service at a rescue mission on Facebook, is that what Jesus warned about? Look, I, I get it when churches... When Ricky Lee, when he puts pictures of the youth going out to serve the Lord, we can all rejoice in in what the Lord is doing corporately. But when I just constantly have to put everything for everybody to see about how good I am, is that not what Jesus is talking about? But, you may say, you'll you'll encourage others to serve the Lord in that way by trumpeting. Uh, Excuse me. I mean by sharing your service. Online. Yes, and I hope for many comments of affirmation, and I'm quickly, I'm checking it. How fast? Can you believe? 50 likes off. 100? Come on. Now I know that my service for the Lord is meaningful. And Jesus says, they who do so have their reward. It's very clear, folks. I don't care what the culture says to you. God's word is very clear. 
Verses 3 and 4 encourage us to do our good works as much as possible in secret. Then the Lord will reward us. But our reward will not fully come until we stand before Jesus at the judgment. It comes down, does it not, to whether we truly believe. If we believe that, that, that there is a God and that he sent his son to die for us and that and that he, he, he calls us to live in this way where he gets all the glory. We're, we're called to glorify him, not ourselves. If we believe that, then we will also believe that judgment day is coming. At which time I will either be rewarded or as 1 Corinthians 3 implies, my works would have, which have been acknowledged on earth will be burned up. Look, it's... It, it wouldn't it, it's not going to be exactly like this. And there's, there are complications to understanding this exactly like it's written. Because most of the people that he's talking about here, when he talks about hypocrites, he's talking about those who don't believe. And they don't care anything about God's glory. They just care about their own glory. They, they reject Jesus. But 1 Corinthians 3 talks about how we'll stand before the Lord and our good works will either be made of silver, gold, and precious stones, and they will endure the test of fire or they will be burned up. And again, it won't happen exactly like this, but it's almost like, what if somebody's at the, at, 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 at the desk and they're giving out these incredible rewards and they come to you and they say, oh, okay, already had your reward on heaven. Move on, please. Next, you're in heaven, but you've already had your reward. Do you really believe it? Believe it or not? what it comes down to. In verse 5, Jesus transitions from speaking about hiding your good works to talking about the importance of practicing spiritual disciplines in private. This is difficult for me because I want to encourage you to participate in these things. And sometimes I'll say, this is how we we'll do it. Next week, we're going to talk about giving. And I'll talk a little bit maybe about how I do it just to encourage you and to give you some guidance and structure. Maybe not. I'll probably be so convicted after this. I won't say anything. But except I already have. See, I've got, I've got my reward already. <laughs> I heard a pastor one time who prayed, Lord, deliver us from superficial Christianity. And I thought, yes, please do. <laughs> At this moment. And he then went on to preach about Burger King's mission statement and how it accorded with the teachings of Christ. Burger King's teaching uh, mission statement has nothing to do. There may be based on biblical principles, but you go the other way, not. While it's important to remember that public prayer includes a responsibility, consider the others who are around you. If, if, if you're going to pray, if you're ever called on to pray up here, it's, it's, it would not be a bad thing at all to write out your prayer. I wrote out my prayer the other day that when I prayed at, at the funeral. Uh, it, you should consider your audience. Paul is a great example of that. The other apostles, when they pray in Scripture, they're thinking about the people who are reading what they're going to say. So that's not what he's talking about here. Uh, we, we, as we approach the throne of grace, though, we must Pray to God and not for show. 
Biblical prayer is simple and sincere. The Lord already knows what our needs are before we even come to Him. And, and, and He delights to meet them, but He wants us to bring our petitions before Him. In the same way that many of the things that you say to your spouse or to your children, uh, you learn the hard way sometimes that everything you say in the home is not private, you know. You hear, oh, guess what your child told, that, told, his, uh, told my child the other day at school. But you, there are a lot of things that you want to be private. And the Lord says, keep this between you and me. When you tell someone, I prayed for you, what is your motive? To encourage the person or to receive your instant reward by being praised for your piety? Now look. We should encourage people. And I delight in praying for you when I can because it's such a tough discipline for me. And then I'd love to share with you that I'm praying with you. I brought you before the Lord, but it's, I always have to examine. Why is it I'm saying this? Is it because I want them to think I'm such a good Christian or is it because I want to encourage them? You get the point. How should we pray? In so many words... Jesus said to his disciples, I'm glad you asked. And then he gave his followers, which includes us today, what we know as the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer feels almost like it's public domain, doesn't it? I mean, look, if someone in some school somewhere were trying to make a statement about certain values and they said before a football game or a basketball game, we're going to pray and let's pray together. What would they pray? The Lord's Prayer, right? And most everybody would know it or at least know something about it. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, his disciples to pray, he began with our Father, this was very unusual in Jewish teaching in that day. Later, Jewish leaders would, would call, refer to God as our Father, but very few people did in that day. And so when Jesus said, our Father, you should pray this way, he was telling them, you have to be rightly related to God to be able to say this. Just like Jesus called the Lord his Father all the time. <clears throat> now he's saying you can pray this way. Again, only the one who has humbled him or herself in repentance and trusted Jesus' death on the cross as payment for sin can pray this prayer with true meaning. These are Jesus' disciples. And if you've ever heard someone say, this really should be called the disciples' prayer instead of the Lord's prayer. You've heard a good word. This prayer doesn't belong to the world. It belongs to the saved. Jeffrey Gibbs, who has been my primary instructor, not my only one, but my primary instructor for this month and who is responsible for the articulation of some of the, the phrases that I'm using today, calls these first three petitions prayer for the last day and until the last day. And that's really uh, well said. Prayer for the last day and until the last day. When Jesus instructed us to begin our prayer with worship, he intended not just words of worship, but a life 
of worship as well. When God's ways are rejected and mocked, then His name is not hallowed. When we live according to His word and by His power, we are exalting His name. Thy kingdom come is the hunger and thirst for righteousness that was stated in the Beatitudes. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is a prayer for God's reign to come to the earth as it already exists in the heavens. Look, the angels and all the other created beings in the heavens understand that God reigns supremely. And that any evil in the spirit world that occurs is only because God allows it, even though... Spirits may think they're getting over on the Lord, just like kids think that they're getting over on you, and they're really not, or sometimes it's the other way around. You think you're getting over on the kids, and you're really not. All these prayers, your name be hallowed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. They have already been answered in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, but they will fully be known by all at Jesus' second advent. And before his turn, we pray, return, we pray that God's kingdom will be evident in our lives, that others will look at us and know something of the kingdom of God. The remainder of this simple prayer that Jesus taught his followers calls for a life of trust in the Lord. I hope that when you give thanks for the food that is so readily available to you every day, that you do not take God's provisions for granted. Sometimes, don't you just every once in a while, don't you just struggle with all that we have and the way that the scripture is, is written to so many who have so little and yet they're called to contentment. They're called to, to gratitude. Today, when you pray for your meal, pause before you pray. Just stop. And thank God for his provision. Look, your food doesn't come from Aldi. It doesn't come from the, from, from, from the farmers who grow it. Although they're all part of the process. I don't mean to belittle their contribution Ultimately, though, our food comes from the Lord. Your dilemma is that which of these 70 restaurants within driving distance? No, 170. Which one are we going to go to? And what am I going to have on the menu? You want stress? Go to Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> and they give you six volumes, you know, like that. Your daily provision comes from the Lord. We may learn that overnight. Anything can happen. Best to already know where our food comes from. Our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That's kind of interesting wording there, isn't it? Forgive us as we have already forgiven those. Uh, forgiveness comes from God. Again, notice the structure of the prayer. God forgives those who 
has, have already forgiven others. It's the same notion that God is merciful to those who extend mercy to others and they do so because they have already received mercy from God. It's this big cycle of life. Look, uh, we're, we're called to pray that this life will be lived out in us. If you worry about verses 14 and 15, those, those verses can be a little bit tricky. Know this. When, when, when the Lord says, if you don't forgive others, our, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. There is a difference between a temporary inability to forgive and a, temporary that, a temporal situation that may last for some time. But there's a difference between a temporary <clears throat> inability to forgive someone who has hurt you deeply. There's a difference in that and an unwillingness to ever Forgive a person. In other words, it is both ungodly and unwise to say, I will never forgive that person. <coughs> Pray rather. God, sorry. God, forgive me the ability to forgive. It's not within my heart to do so, but make your heart to live and to grow in mine. Is there anything more difficult than forgiving your enemies? And if you say, oh yes, then you've just not had the right enemies yet. Uh, <laughs> probably the day will come. Again, our call as followers of Christ is to forgive. Verse 13 has been the subject of a great deal of speculation, uh, even by Pope Francis, who wants to change the wording to reflect that God does not cause us to be tempted, as James 1.13 says. But the early part of James 1 indicates that the Lord absolutely allows these trials and testings in our lives to mold us and shape us. Notice here, but don't get so caught up in that <clears throat> This is a pattern that you will find often in the Old Testament. Uh, when Jesus says, lead us not into temptation in the negative, but deliver us from evil in the positive. There's a sense in which he's, he's essentially saying, Lord, keep us from giving in to temptation. We are all tempted, but 1 Corinthians 10.13 says that we don't have to yield to that temptation. We do not have to succumb because God has made a way of escape for us. And one of the primary means of escape, of temptation, from temptation, is through prayer. I'll just say this about verses 16 to 18. Jesus expected his followers to fast. Now, some of you have been a little concerned about because you're just fasting too much. Not really. You're fasting as much as I do, which is once a quarter because the elders have called for it. Several years ago, I said, do you think we really ought to keep doing this? They said, oh, yes. And I said, yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. <laughs> it's not easy to fast. But what does fasting do? It reminds us. It reminds us of our dependence on God. That's what that whole Lord's Prayer is about. It's dependence on God to accomplish His will on the earth and to, and to meet our needs and to keep us from temptation. <clears throat> Give us victory over it. Look, 
fasting is something we ought to do. And we do have a, a, a quarterly fast coming up in just a few weeks. Please participate, even for just a portion of it. But remember, it's, not, it's for our spiritual benefit, not so that others will say, I admire you. I could never do that. Uh, don't even let anybody that you... Since it's a corporate fast, we all know, and we can share with one another how difficult it is and how much it reminds us of our dependence on the Lord. But don't broadcast it if you don't have to. Uh, not only, though, should we fast from food, but social media, from sports, from Netflix, whatever. The Lord should be our primary focus in life. And fasting is a great way to remind us of the believer's priority. Just don't post about it when you've decided to, to withhold something from your life. No need to tell anybody. It's between you and God. Matthew 7, 1 may be one of the most misunderstood and most abused verses in the Bible. Looks like we're going to get through this text, but this is, I really wanted to get to this. Anyway, judge not that you be not judged. Most of the time, when unbelievers use this verse against Christians, or when Christians use it, against each other it is only intended to go one way if you say something to me that i don't like and i say hey judge not that you be not judged that means shut up conversation's over you judger <laughs> we even don't we, we we even we use that language all the time hey don't judge me don't judge me ironically we're guilty of the very thing we're accusing somebody else of doing to us. The judgment Jesus referred to occurred between Christians. Three times in verses 3 through 5, Jesus warned his followers about judging brothers. The point is to refrain from assessing another believer on the basis, solely on the basis of his or her sins. You know, looking for the worst in others, giving yourself a break, looking for the worst in others. If we truly believe that the standard that we hold other people to is the standard God will hold us to, I don't know for sure, but I, I'm guessing there'd be a lot less judging going. When Jesus asked why his followers tended to notice the speck in their brother's eye when they had a tree trunk hanging out of their own eye, he probably intended for the audience to laugh, and no doubt they did. <clears throat> it's funny how we do when we approach Scripture. We take it so seriously. Well, uh, you know, got, got a, a beam in your own eye. You're trying to get the speck out of the other. Jesus meant for people to laugh. It's funny. Look, since I attempt, it's vain though it may be, attempt a little bit of humor at times, I, it will surprise you that I find it Strange that some preachers are so dead set against humor in the pulpit. Jesus was funny. It was ancient humor. That's why you don't get my humor. I use that ancient humor sometimes. <laughs> so just trust me. It's funny. Well, maybe not. There's nothing funny, though, about what Jesus said in verse 5. When he called the one who displays such arrogance 
a hypocrite. He was employing a term that he reserved almost always for those who didn't believe in him. But now he's talking to Christians. And he says, you're judging your brother or your sister, really? You hypocrite. Pull it, this log around. Get it out of your eye. And then you'll be able to see clearly to get the speck out of your brother's eye. And by the way, his point was not, okay, here's the order for rebuking someone. Take care of your own business. And then you can take... He's just saying, don't do it. Don't judge. That's what Jesus was saying in that... Brothers and sisters, is sobering. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus calls us to look deep inside our own hearts. It's like holding up a mirror to our souls and revealing the ugliness that lurks just below the surface, waiting to reveal itself when we seek, when we seek to please God in our own strength. Because all the things that Jesus is talking about here are very religious. Very religious. And he's saying, but they're not godly. Even as he <laughs> exposes us, Jesus also tenderly calls us to pray to our Father who knows our weaknesses before we even ask. So the next time you look in a mirror... Look for Jesus. Quit berating yourself and quit exalting yourself. Because it's really not. If you are a follower of Jesus, it's not about you. It's not about, it's especially not about how you're right and those stupid people that you have to deal with. They call themselves Christians and I know they are, but they're just wrong. It's not it's not about that. It's about Jesus. I'm not referring to the reflection that you see in your bathroom, in your, in your bedroom. James 1 <laughs> says that the Word of God is a mirror. And it shows us two things. It shows us what needs attention. Just like, you know, you look in the mirror. The other, I got up in the middle of the night the other night. So I think it's the only time in my life I've gone, ah! <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, boy. That's not good. It, a mirror tells you the truth. It shows what needs attention, but it also shows something else, the mirror of God's Word. It shows us who Jesus is. And here's the way it works. It's not like, it's not like this with the, the glass that's reflecting your image. When you spend time in the mirror of the Word, the more time you spend, Looking into the mirror of the word, the more you will become like the image you see. And that image is Jesus. One of our prayer focuses was to read through the Bible in 2018. I hope you're doing it. I'm doing a different one this year. The Reader's Bible. No verses. It does give you the chapters, but it's just, it's just written that way. Going through all the way, all of, just the way, all the way through. I hope you spend time in the Word, whether it's that or whether it's devotionally. In fact, I hope it's both. It really, you need both. 
every day. And as you do, you will become more like Jesus. If you want to look like him, spend time in his word. It cannot be so that others will exalt you or that you can gain any kind of praise from it. If you want to become more like Jesus, immerse yourself in his word. And when he commands you to do your good works in secret, ask him to mold your heart in that very way. What? How do you do that in a very public world? Most of you don't even care that anybody and everybody has access to your information. We're just there. It's just, it's a public world. May as well show them some good as well as some bad. But Jesus said, that's that's not this life. Humble yourself before the Lord and lean into Jesus. Practice doing your good works in secret, even as you give thanks to God, so that your reward will be great. And you stand before him, as you will do. Well, Father, um, really, this is kind of one of those uh, sermons that could be taken either way. It could be taken as like, okay, here's the moral code. And if you want to be a Christian, you better live. No, that's not. That's not what your word says. That's not what you intended when you preached the Sermon on the Mount. But you did intend to point out the areas of our lives that hurt us, that actually uh, weaken the relationship we have with you and also keep us from gaining the reward that you have intended for us. So Lord, uh, as our hearts are exposed In in the odd way that it happens for believers, in repentance, may the joy of the Lord fill our souls and our hearts. And may we live to exalt Jesus. It's for his glory and in his name we pray. Amen. Good morning. My name is Brian Archer. I'm one of the deacons here at the church. And it's my prayer that you leave here today knowing the strength, the comfort, and the love of Christ as you go about your week. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, it says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.